Okay, so just to <coughs> recap a little briefly, we said we could, we could notice, acknowledge, uh, think about there uh, a spectrum of uh, uses of the imagination or ways that the imagination is used. Um, and so, for example, there is the uh, kind of unskillful, unhelpful use of the imagination in Papancha, and, um, and then there's many kinds of uh, good, useful, important um, ways the imagination can be used um, uh, that are actually part of developing practice. Um, we can differentiate different ways the imagination can be used. And we can discern a little bit more finely and um, <coughs> understand uh, what we mean by imaginal. Um, the imaginal imagination, if you like. Um, and in doing that and pointing to some of those features, attributes, aspects of the imaginal, uh, this will be useful not just for the understanding and the logos and the uh, uh, usefulness of the conceptual framework, but also in terms of um, igniting practice. These discernments can function, I'll explain how later, as keys to um, ignite and deepen imaginal practice. So on that spectrum we talked about, for example, the use of imagination with mindfulness. Uh, what's often not there when there's papancha, of course. Um, so mindful imagination, for example, in metta practice, compassion practice, uh, we're deliberately and mindfully using the imagination skillful um, for skillful ends. And we can have mindful embodied imagination and healing imagination, um, again, with mindfulness, with, with uh, body awareness, all kinds of possibilities there, light um, shining uh, onto the body or in the body where there's illness or injury or all kinds of possibilities. But these examples, the mindful imagination and metro compassion, embodied imagination, healing imagination, they are not necessarily imaginal. They're maybe very, very helpful, important, necessary parts of practice, very useful, very beneficial, but they're not necessarily imaginal. Often they are not. They may be imaginal. In other words, it's possible to to be doing uh, using the imagination in a compassion practice, and it becomes imaginal, or it is imaginal. And the same with uh, healing images. It's both imaginal and healing. Um, so they may or may not be what we're calling imaginal. Actually, even a daydream, we can catch a daydream, and then there's mindfulness, then we stay with it and start relating to it in certain ways, and it becomes imaginal. So these may or may not be imaginal. And I sort of uh, rattled through very quickly through a list um, that of attributes of aspects of the characteristics of what we're calling uh, the imaginal. Um, that list was not intended to be exhaustive, and it certainly wasn't uh, exhaustive. Um, 
nor was it intended to be too rigid or too neatly delineating between these different elements or aspects of the imaginal. Uh, so not too rigid, not too neat and sharp, these distinctions between these elements, and it's certainly not an exhaustive list. So, for example, and we talked about the imaginal, you could sum up what the imaginal is, is more about the way of looking than about the object per se. But that way of looking includes um, some degree of lessening of fabrication, some degree of lessening of fabrication in the way of looking, that it's fabricating perception less, Uh, even if that's very, very slight. Um, Also in the way of looking, so I'm actually uh, mentioning some elements now that I didn't mention in in the list uh, yesterday, and uh, mentioning now we could have you could kind of uh, say that they're implicit in the list but actually we could draw them out and and kind of add to the list so in this relationship that makes up uh, a a part of the imaginal the actual relationship between subject and object in uh, the, the poise the stance of that relationship with the imaginal includes a sense of duty a duty to what is perceived the duty of the self to what is perceived. And I've talked, I think, quite a bit about this in on uh, several retreats in the past few years. Um, duty is another element um, of this constellation of imaginal trust as well. And again, that's something that I've um, highlighted several times on past retreats dealing with imaginal practice. Duty and trust. Now, if someone's coming to this new and they just hear those words, duty and trust are something in your imagination, it sounds completely bonkers, certainly very dangerous. Would I have a duty? I'm going to follow all the voices in my head and do what they say? And I just blindly trust them? So, I'm going to, not going to go into it right now, but if you're again familiar with the material we've covered, you'll know that it's much more nuanced than that, much more subtle than that, and uh, doesn't come without caveats and um, certain qualifications. But duty and trust are elements we could add to the list, as is, and again related to the relationship that makes up the imaginal, that constitutes the imaginal. Um, the intention for being with this image and for exploring this imaginal image um, needs to be not primarily for the sake of self in the ways that we usually understand self, not primarily for my psychological process, for my spiritual development, for my personal growth, for my um, empowerment. All these things may well accrue with imaginal practice. Um, but but something up happens when I put those intent when those intentions um, are the primary intentions. Um, and strictly speaking, again, if we're talking about spectrum here, but we're not really in the, the fully or authentically or genuinely imaginal there. So something, again, about the relationship, duty, trust, and the intention is not primarily for self. Again, I, and that's also something I've talked, I think, quite a bit about in uh, one of the last retreats. Uh, I think it was Reenchanting the Cosmos, I'm not sure. So not an exhaustive list, not too rigid list, not so neatly, sharply cut.
cut up between the elements. But most, uh, most of these elements will apply to so-called, I wish I had a better word, so-called intrapsychic images, uh, imaginal images, and the perception of this a material other, material object or other person or the world or the self, a, a, an imaginal perception of that. This world that we move in, that we agree in, seen imaginally. So this list applies to both because, again, the way we have been and uh, still want to use that word, imaginal, uh, means more than just intrapsychic images, more than just, uh, you know, I close my eyes and something appears in my mind's eye, etc. Or I hear something or uh, whatever it is. Um, and as I said, we'll come back to this, but a better term, more helpful term for some people uh, to really make that aspect clear that it's not just intrapsychic is this sensing with soul. We'll, we'll return to that. Now, before we elaborate further some of these elements that I've touched on in, in this uh, if we even call it a list, um, some of these uh, constituent aspects of the imaginal constellation. Uh, before we um, amplify them a little bit and fill them out and say a bit more about them, and also how they might be used as keys or, if you like, um, ignition points uh, in practice, um, let's just... Uh, touch base a little bit about intrapsychic images um, and just uh, say a few things about practicing with them. Um, a number of people have said to me over the last few years, I don't get images. Oh, but I don't get images. It sounds really interesting, but I don't get images. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I have talked, again, this is also something I've talked about in the past, uh, I can't quite remember where. I think it might be in um, the talks entitled Orienting uh, Orienting, Relating and uh, Tuning to the Imaginal or something which is in the retreat path of the imaginal. And uh, there may be, I don't know how many talks there are, two or three perhaps, um, there. I think there's a few quite a few instructions in there for this kind of thing um, and obviously scattered elsewhere uh, someone else may know better than I do but if we just briefly review some of those um, possible approaches to kind of um, open the gates a little bit to the images or stimulate the Im imaginative faculty at least towards um, images and the imaginal so and again, just rattling through some possibilities because we're really reviewing uh, briefly. Um, there's the possibility of, you know, of samadhi, some degree of samadhi, dipping into that, um, however, whatever ways work for you, dipping into that. And again, I mean by samadhi, this whole body, um, uh, whole body harmonization and alignment of the energies, etc., in the 
and well-being, dipping into some samadhi to whatever degree, and then kind of just coming out a little bit and slightly relaxing the sort of uh, intense focus, if you like, uh, or grip on on that sense of well-being that's the object of the samadhi, and just relaxing that a little bit and sort of just hanging out in that space um, where there's a relative degree of samadhi, but it's more relaxed. That can be a very fertile uh, ground uh, or space for images to arise in. Um, Similarly, very similarly, um, some kind of emptiness practice, um, and again, whatever you know and to whatever depth uh, you you sort of develop that, um, working with that, with the emptiness, and then again, just, just... uh, backing off, taking the foot off the uh, accelerator, the gas pedal, a little bit slightly relaxing in that space that has opened up. So both these, with the Samadhi and the emptiness, really what's happened is we've kind of um, decreased the fabrication of perception of self and uh, objects, uh, and then kind of loosened, loosened the mind just a little bit. So that those are two options. Another is actually to recall a dream figure or a dream scene that has touched you or um, felt potent in some way. Often it's easiest um, right after the dream uh, or, or pretty soon after the dream, uh, you know, say in the morning or something, uh, when it's still alive and the soul resonances are still uh, kind of accessible when you recall the dream figure. And taking up the dream figure... Um, as uh, an uh, an object of meditation or entering into a meditative um, exploration of relationship with that that uh, dream figure, um, or it might be <coughs> a, a previous imaginal figure, something <coughs> that has. Um, ignited for you and felt fertile as an imaginal image in the past. And absolutely, you can just deliberately bring back that image and work with it again. Reconnect in that relationship. See what else uh, needs to happen or just um, find yourself again in the same kind of territory. or Maybe something different wants to happen. Uh, so that's uh, another two possibilities, recalling a dream figure or a previous imaginal figure that has worked for you and deliberately uh, re-incarnating uh, it. Um, there might there are, of course, a whole host of um, deliberate um, meditations on pre-prescribed imaginal figures, often from some of you who have Vajrayana uh, backgrounds, and it might be Tara or Avalokiteshvara or... Um, many sort of tantric deities or uh, could be non-Buddhist depending on your background, whatever. They're actually prescribed. You know, This is a standard meditation on this figure. And then we enter into it. And there, there are differences between the way we're approaching things and sort of more, uh, let's say, standardly taught um, Vajrayana approach. Uh, it could also be a character uh, from history. Um or from a literature, a novel, or a film that, again, has touched you, has sparked and, and uh, grabbed your soul, um, moved your soul. Um, again, I've spoken in the past, Nelson Mandela, John Coltrane, I mean, there are many for, for me, um, and, and some purely fictional characters. 
that are potent as images. So that's, again, very, very uh, be- beautiful way in. It could be an actual, an actual living person um, that you know or know of, um, a friend, a teacher, you know, something else, can be even a fa- family, uh, um, someone in your family who is alive as image for you. Someone was telling me of her uh, grandchildren and um, the, the, the delight there and uh, the eros there and, and, and how they came alive as imaginal figures there. Um, so someone who you know who is alive as image, as imaginal image for you. They're already alive and then you take them, even though they might not be present with you in the room at that time, you bring them, you, you elicit them, you um, uh, conjure them in, in the consciousness and meditate on them as an imaginal figure. I'm pretty sure I shared a certain technique which was useful to me uh, for quite a while. It's actually imagining deliberately myself descending a staircase. Uh, Oftentimes it would be a stone or spiral staircase down down into a kind of cell. It was more like a kind of prison cell. Um, And then waiting there in the dark and oftentimes different images would appear in that cell. Very beautiful, very, very fertile. Um, or uh, perhaps beneath the foliage of a, of, a, of a tree, a big tree, a little tree, a beautiful tree, and sitting or standing under the uh, leaves and the dappled sunlight and the shade there, warm or cool or whatever it is, and in that space, that enchanted uh, space, images can enter or arise or certain encounters can take place, etc., and again, really, really, really not to overlook the possibility that often when the emotions are quite um, alive, either in a difficult way, when there's a difficult emotion, when we're struggling with something, or in a lovely way, uh, when there's some very beautiful emotion, um, there's the energy in the emotionality that can constitute an image. I just have to hang out, open to be with, find ways of being with that um, emotion, difficult or lovely, uh, in ways that can give birth to images. So I'm hanging out there, open to, connected with, intimate with, with the energy body, etc., and sensitive to and caring for, and uh, receptive to what arises out of that kind of... uh, vortex of the emotions um, and what arises as image or may arise as image. A really important possibility. Um, And then we can also, for example, deliberately imagine uh, the body in a certain way or with regard to the body. So I can deliberately play with imagining uh, my body as a body of light perhaps a certain color, or a body of fire, or fire emanating from my body. Or, as Catherine did a beautiful guided meditation on the last retreat, the um, body as the beloved other, and then entering into that body as beloved other, with all the senses and all the sensitivity and receptivity. So there's all kinds of possibilities, and I really encourage you um, to to try some of these if uh, if it feels like, you're one of those people that says, I don't get images. Um, 
Now I'd like to actually give you an example of um, a very unremarkable image uh, to make the point uh, that you know, because sometimes people say, oh, I don't get very interesting images, or, Rob, you describe your images, and they're really intense and far out and kind of amazing, and da-da-da, and I've tried uh, on the past retreats to deliberately give both kind of um, far out images, if you like, or kind of intense sounding images on the one hand, and on the other hand, really not far out, not dramatic, very kind of ordinary sounding images, to, to really emphasize the fact that in a way, the remarkability or unremarkability of um, images is really not that important. It's kind of uh, irrelevant. It may impress your friends if it's something remarkable, but in itself, it doesn't. It doesn't mean much at all. So, um, not too long ago, I had this is an example of an un- unremarkable image. I had. Um, I was sitting in meditation, and a visual image came up. It was fairly vivid as an image, but it was really unremarkable and very kind of limited in scope. And the visual images was of of a black, um, I don't know what they call black suit coat, like 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 the way kind of a, or, or a businessman might wear a sort of overcoat on a suit, a black suit coat or overcoat, whatever they're called. And it was just its lapels. It wasn't even the whole coat. <laughs> It was just the lapels and the white shirt underneath with the, with a kind of dark tie there. And so it was just that for a while. And of course, initially one thinks, well, that's not very interesting. And, and, it, and it wasn't like there was a particular great upsurge of, of uh, soul resonance or emotion. We were just hanging out with it. Hang out. Don't, don't, not too quick to judge. Just hang out. Um, just uh, be open, be sensitive, be delicate. And so as I stayed with this, and it was almost like I get more of a sense of the man who was wearing this uh, this uh, sort of very um, standard sort of Western uh, attire of a certain kind of style, I guess. And I get a sense of him. I don't really see him that much uh, per se, but I just get a sense of him. And he's a kind of a research scientist. And in his inside pocket to the coat... Uh, is he has papers um, and they contain a theory and he's traveling around with these papers and studying and contemplating this theory on, on his travels and sometimes he's alone and sometimes he's moving around it's probably, I don't know it's some kind of western country in Europe and fairly modern you know, sometime in the, let's say 19th or 20th centuries and he's sometimes alone, sometimes he meets with others who are kind of similar to him to discuss and um, share and study this, these papers, this, this text together. So there's a very small kind of group of guys um, bound together by this intense focus and passionate involvement and devotion to this study. So all this is a kind of a sense I get, that it's not like I really see all this happening and there's a whole like watching a film of him going and meeting all these guys. It's more, it's sort of visual, but certainly not a dramatic visual in kind of any intense way. It's more just a sense of like his, what he is and what he does and what he's about and his story. And I also get the sense, it's not even that they think this theory um, represents or even seeks the truth. Like, this is the truth. Now, this is the theory of the world, or whatever it is, um, in some kind of simple way. 
Um, there's something about this theory, it's as much a creation, a sort of as if, or an art, and there's also something kind of religious or spiritual, if you like, um, uh, about it for them. So it's a curious kind of blend, this kind of, it's sort of scientific and sort of a artistic creation and sort of religious and all that. And and that goes for their relationship with it. It's a kind of religious, spiritual thing, it's an art, it's all of that. It's uh, research. There are not very many of these uh, people in the world. And um, it's not secret what they're doing. It's not like some super confidential thing. But they don't really speak or share much about it um, or about their devotion and passion. Um, They don't really speak much about that with those who are not interested. And most people are not interested. So they don't really talk about it with most people, basically. But their focus and their devotion to this exploration, this study, and this uh, sharing together, um, it gives their lives a kind of um, profound sense of alignment and and rootedness and a kind of steadiness um, of depth. And to the extent that something is more important to them than their individual fate, their individual life or death. And again, none of this is very dramatically sort of conveyed in the image. It's just a a kind of intuition I have about what is going on there with these uh, with this man and these people. I am also during this image sort of kind of struck by the fact that okay, these are white men. They're all white men in suits, and <laughs> they're kind of conservatively dressed. I don't know, is it like the thirties or forties or fifties or um, so? They're kind of strikes me, um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that's that's the deal. Um, I'm reminded at the same time this kind of echoes of, uh, you know, like ancient or medieval mystical esoteric texts shared among small and often disparate groups of initiates or seekers, seekers and carried on journeys by them, uh, traveling, you know, traveling members of this uh, group or collective or whatever it is and the texts are are carried and and communicated to each other, you know, before the printing press, before uh, you know, pressing send on an email and all that, before before all of that. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's papers, sometimes it's a um, a sort of paper-bound leaflet kind of booklet thing, sometimes it's a, a dark hardback book, it's not so important. So, the reason I'm saying all that is um, it doesn't sound very interesting. I, don't, I, I imagine it doesn't sound very interesting. Um, it wasn't visually as an image. It was a visual image, but there's a lot that, that wasn't visual in it. It was more like an intuitive sense of who, as I said, who they were and what was going on there. It wasn't visually, it wasn't that detailed. It wasn't that rich or complex visually. And the effect on the energy body was definitely not dramatic. You know, sometimes it can be really dramatic, the sense of alignment or release or energization that comes into the energy body with an image that really resonates with your soul. So it really wasn't dramatic, but it was there. There was an effect on the energy body. I couldn't, uh, I can't remember actually, but I can't tell or decide, was I in the image as one of them, or was I kind of outside just watching them and in a kind of soul relationship with them? 
So very uh, unremarkable, probably not very interesting, if one tells one's friends such an image, um, but imaginal nevertheless. Why? Because of the soul resonances it had for me, which were quite subtle. Again, not dramatic, not fireworks, uh, not shooting flames and all that business. Um, uh, the, the, the soul resonances and the kind of reciprocal, infinite echoing and mirroring um, uh, of the image and the imaginal characters with, with, if you like, currents of my life, currents of my soul. Some of you will obviously recognize that in, in the image. Um, but the point is, uh, images don't need to be uh, dramatic, intense, um, vivid visually, or r- remarkable, unusual, far out, etc., uh, to be imaginal. On the other hand, uh, we can have a, a very remarkable, vivid, intense, and dramatic images that are not imaginal. Yeah. So here's an example of, of one like that. <clears throat> um, I'm sitting in meditation, and suddenly a snake appears, and um, it's very vivid. Um, it's a very vivid visual image and kind of very intense. Its presence is very intense. Right there, like its head or its hood, like a cobra, is right kind of um, face-to-face with me. Um, but I can't quite relate to it somehow. It, doesn't, it actually doesn't feel imaginal. What's not there? A sense of beauty, a sense of meaningfulness, a sense of dimensionality, divinity. These are not obvious. Um, nor is my energy body kind of signaling a soul-making engagement. So I'm I'm a little bit puzzled, but really struck by the vividness, and I sort of ask it, but not not necessarily as a whole formal question. I try and get a sense, you know, what what does it want? What do you want uh, in relationship to it? What do you want? Again, that doesn't need to be a formal question. Sometimes that can be a little too uh, clunky um, as a sort of technique. But um, and the and the snake says something like um, to burn you or to burn through you. It wants to burn me or to burn through me, um, which means to hollow me out through its fire breath. It breathes fire, the snake, um, which it then instantaneously does. So that's a really dramatic, intense thing. Suddenly this vivid image, and it wants to burn through me, and then it just does that, and I kind of disappear. Um, So there you have uh, pretty remarkable, very vivid, visually intense, dramatic. Um, There's even talking going on, all of which can sound really impressive. Um, But it wasn't imaginal. Um, Another aspect that was missing there was love and also trust. Um, Now what happened over over a little time, I think it took a few sessions, was I, I... started playing with a few elements. This is the kind of thing we'll come back to later and amplify a little bit. Started playing with a few elements uh, um, or kind of gently allowing the possibility or looking for a few elements like love, like trust, or introducing them a little bit. Um, And also... um, aware of the dependent arising of the image. So we've talked about this before. When I introduce just a little bit of trust, the image actually, um, uh, if you like, is shaped by that trust. Um, so images always, de- imaginal images, always a dependent arising. We're not overlooking that fundamental Dharma insight. 
So it was only then that it began, still it took a little time to, and I won't go into what happened right now, but um, it, it became more imaginal. Um, I didn't, actually I'll say one more, I didn't trust it. Um, it. It did this thing with its fire breath and disappeared me and said, I want to burn, burn you or burn through you. And I, and I, I sort of said, why? And it said, um, so so you can live forever. And, and I was very suspicious. It's like, that's a very strange sounding thing. Um, and... Uh, Something about it I didn't trust. Actually, quite a, n- a number of things about it I really didn't trust. Uh, what was going on there? There wasn't that full trust there. But as I say, so it wasn't imaginal at that point. It didn't have the beauty, the meaningfulness, dimensionality, divinity, etc., love, um, all of that, despite the vividness and intensity and all that and the remarkability of it. Um, but, but in time and with practice, actually, it it did become imaginal. It opened up. It was. Um, Actually, quite uh, fertile. So again, um, again, I'm repeating things I've said before, but it's important. It seems important um, because of how often I, I hear uh, people say things, which makes me think, oh, they haven't quite grasped that aspect or this aspect of of um, what's important here. Um, an image in our sense, despite the way we tend to, to hear that word in our language, is not necessarily visual. Um, it could, uh, any of the senses could be primary, not just the, the, the sight, could be the hearing or the kinesthetic sense or the touch or um, uh, smell, taste, whatever, or something that we can't even quite um, put our finger on. What? How, how is it that I'm sensing this? Um... But an image is not necessarily, an imaginal image is not necessarily visual. Um, when we're, again, I'm, I'm trying to address someone who says, I don't get images. Um, oftentimes what happens is a person dismisses what comes up as a potential image, if you like. They, they dismiss it too quickly. Um, so I could have easily dismissed that um, the image of, of that uh, suit lapel, you know, the lapels of the suit with a tie. It's like, uh, really wasn't that interesting. It hard, hardly uh, registered, you know, as, as being interesting at all. But w- really, don't dismiss too quickly. Um, because something that appears insignificant or appears, oh, I just made that up. Um, don't worry about whether you, you think your ego has made it up or whether it feels like it's not interesting or it's insignificant or it's just the tail end of a daydream or whatever. Don't dismiss too quickly. You know, Stay with it a little bit and see see what, what can be worked with, what happens when you hang out, when you come into um, uh, a different kind of relationship with it. So we have to be patient, um, both in a session, if we're trying to work uh, with imaginal practice, and also over time, with the development of this practice over time. But really what we're talking about is, with imaginal, again, it's, it's, a, it's more a way of paying attention and being with um, that constitutes the imaginal, and that, if you like, allows something that might seem insignificant, uninteresting, um, a total um, mental fabrication of some some element of me that is not even that profound or interesting. Um, 
it's the way of paying attention to and being with it oftentimes is the most important to allow that uh, germ, that seed, to become something imaginal, to gain that dimensionality and that beauty and that meaningfulness and, and all of that and the echoing. I think I've said this before. I've definitely said it to some individuals um, who were quite surprised when I when I said it. But I I don't think I am not a natural. I I don't naturally have like a super you know imaginative faculty that just churns out images and all, all that. Um, I don't consider that. Uh, the case at all for myself. I'm not a natural. Some people really are. They're very, a lot of images comes very easily to them. Um, that's not me. Um, but what I can be, and, and what I was in, in um, the initial stages of developing this, and I still very much feel that I'm developing this, that I'm learning, that I'm uh, expanding. Um, uh, what, what I can be, and, and what I was, rather than being a natural, if you like, was I can be patient, I can be dedicated, I can be curious, I can experiment and play, um, and I can notice, oh, that's interesting, when I experimented like this, that happened, oh, that's interesting, and I can ponder. Um, so bringing those qualities to bear, something gradually, it, it took really took some time, and it's still very much developing for me, um, it's something begins to develop, to accrue, something starts to come together, a facility starts to emerge and get um, founded and flower and blossom and unfold and take you places. So it may well be, and if I think for myself, um, I think back for myself, it was the case that um, I did use certain, if you like, uh, techniques, if you like, that I ran through briefly before, um, at first, uh, this descending a staircase to a cell and waiting there, etc., um, um, all these things, recalling a dream figure, all of that, um, uh, I, I did use that at first, and, and you might need to at first, if you're one of these people who says, I, I, I feel something in me calling um, when, I, when I hear about these, read about these practices, but I just, I just don't seem to get any images. So go ahead, use some techniques at first. No matter what James Hillman said about that, uh, uh, I would judge it by the results rather than uh, being suspicious of your ego or suspicious of technique. Techniques at first might be helpful. What we're looking for is the soul-making. We use the soul-making as the indicator. Nah, I, I sense that I'm on the right track. I can smell it. I can, I can uh, uh, feel the eros, etc. I feel the resonances. Um, uh, but techniques at first, and then in, in time it becomes more just a mode of being, if you like. The imaginal um, is, is opened by the mode of being that we just move in and out of with kind of less fuss and big deal. It's something that we just kind of glide in and out of in our lives. It, it becomes more of an art rather than a technique. Um, it's more a matter of attunement, receptivity, flexibility, play, um, discovery, all of that. Um, but but sometimes we need the techniques at first. Some people need, like myself, need the techniques at first, or different approaches that you might discover for yourself um, to kind of get into the territory a little bit and then develop it. And even if they're not, as we, we'll go back to this thing, like fully imaginal, genuinely imaginal, um, 
as we said before, it's like gets you into the territory, and then you can start working with that as we'll as we'll um, fill out more as we go on through this first first uh, group of talks. So sometimes, you know, we might be trying too hard to to kind of get an image or receive an image. And maybe what's needed is we just need a a little more sensitivity and attention, uh, uh, without pressure, sensitivity and attention to um, perhaps a a pain or a lack or confusion we're feeling. Um, And we do that with um, the energy body or just paying attention to the energy body and just dwelling in the energy body as we've emphasized on the retreats, just hanging out there. It's really, 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 really good practice. Even if no image comes, just this um, skill and facility and familiarity with the energy body is so, so helpful in so many ways and for so many practices. Um, and sometimes we're trying too hard to get an image, just just let it go. Let, let that whole attempt go and just go go into some samadhi to, to just, you know... Um, develop the well-being, nurture the well-being in the energy body, whatever way you know how, or some emptiness practices, if you know those. Um, Anyway, as I've mentioned in the past, we want to alternate. No one's going to be doing imaginal practice um, all day long. It's too, it's not, uh, that the balance will be off there. So we want to move in and out of other practices which really put down images, let them go quiet, let them fade, come into something simpler, some samadhi, some emptiness, some basic mindfulness practice, etc. Maybe sometimes what we need to do, and so I'm uh, trying too hard for him, is just loosen the mind and let it drift for a while. Yes, let it drift. Just let it drift. Let, just with a light mindfulness, just let the mind kind of drift for a while. And sometimes out of that, an image emerges. And maybe sometimes we need to stop meditating, you know, and realize or uh, kind of notice um, an imaginal image is, is sometimes already existing for us in our lives at times, in how we see our lives, or again, the persons in our lives, or certain persons in our lives at times, or ourselves, or our endeavors, or activities, or... It's already there. Uh, the image or the fantasy, the fantasies that run through our life. I don't need meditation to find them. They're already in my life. All I need is a certain kind of um, understanding and a certain kind of um, awareness to notice what they are. Where there's inspiration, there's fantasy, there's image. Um where there's love, where there's dedication, there's fantasy, there's image. And these, when we start, not so much in the formal meditation, I pick up on them outside of the formal meditation. Then I can maybe get a sense of what they are and take them, if I want to, into the formal meditation. And you know, you here now can also be seen imaginally. Not something other. You, here, now, can become image, can become imaginal image. For, so, for example, even the image of um, oneself humbly, reverently waiting for an image. 
and maybe even slightly frustrated. And then it's the way of relating to that, the way of seeing that, that that itself, the self sitting here, waiting, whatever it is, walking up and down, becomes image. Self-practicing becomes image. Uh, Or the inquiry, um, your inquiry, your dedication in asking a question, your um, aliveness, your longing to know, to open, to understand, this too can become image. It's nothing different but what is going on, just seen differently. It becomes imaginal image. Or a conversation with a teacher or with a fellow practitioner, the very conversation becomes image, or the memory of the conversation becomes image. Just in, it's almost like realizing something about it or seeing it in a certain way, opening to certain aspects of it that we might have um, not allowed or not caught, caught the scent of, if you like. Even uh, yourself, myself, confused or having difficulties on the path, but still earnest in one's uh, attempts and one's uh, dedication and one's efforts, that too can become image. This confusion, this difficulty uh, that the self is experiencing, and the self that is experiencing that difficulty, but, but still showing up, that too can become beautiful poetry and image, an imaginal image of meaningfulness and depth and and divinity and all of it. So an image can be, nothing's actually appearing different, the image of the body, um, it just, it doesn't appear as blue light or this or that or with flames shooting out or anything else, Um, it's just, it's the body as it usually appears, but it doesn't appear differently, but it's sensed, if you like, in relation uh, with or surrendered to or given to, let's say, divinity. So there's uh, all these possibilities. In other words, um, the, the, the self, another, an object, the world, our eros, all this can, each of these can become imaginal without something different being introduced as the image. So we don't need necessarily something like a, you know, a pink rabbit suddenly appearing to the mind and, um, you know, spewing forth profound and pithy and bizarre Zen utterances. It's like, this here now, very ordinary looking at one, uh, to, to one view, and quite uh, uh, fathomless and um, pregnant with meaning and with beauty and with poetry to another view. Nothing, no different object, if you like, is uh, in, in the consciousness or made to be the image or introduced as image. When there is humility and the softening or opening of the heart, when there's a, a, even just a little less fabrication, when there's a certain um, looseness and openness of the perception and the perceptual grasping, if you like, where there's a delicacy of sensitivity, where there's the whole energy body awareness, 
All these together, and, and other factors, they support the opening to the imaginal. Uh, so it's less about getting an image than something in the stance of the being, in the mode of the being, in the way of looking, in the relationship with uh, what is here now in the material world. Uh, certain factors, certain elements, constituents um, come into that and they together support the opening to the imaginal, the opening of the, the mundus imaginalis, the, the world of the imaginal. This here, now, is image, or it becomes imaginal. It can be imaginal when related to in a certain way. <laughs>